0: So today, um, what I wanted to do, and I know this is a bit different, the question and answer, question and response series, it's been a little bit different. And I almost didn't do this last few questions um, because I really want to get back to preaching, really preaching about Jesus. Uh, a lot of these questions, though, I think for some Christians, they're questions that we sh- probably should answer. I think it will be helpful for our overall overall journey and you know maybe if you're with us here today and and church isn't your normal thing or etc it could be a bit insightful hopefully at least interesting at least interesting as we go through so we've been doing this bit of a series and I asked the uh, I asked the church you know to ask questions and then not so much giving answers because I'm not sure you can always give answers I think even the sense of saying I'm going to give an answer about God there's a certain element of arrogance in in that you know what I mean? Because the problem is the longer I've walked with God and the more I know about God, the more I realise I don't know about God. So you're never really sure what's going to, what's around the corner. And, um, and I think we've just got to hold our journey, our spiritual journey, with a bit of humility, maybe just, um, you know, grip truth, just a little bit looser um, and recognise that we can't be too dogmatic about things that we aren't totally sure of. Who's ever been so totally sure about something in God one year, and looking back, you've got a different revelation. It's like, I thought I saw it, but uh, I didn't kind of see it all. I just saw a bit. Um, and so I think uh, humility works well. So these are responses, not, an- not necessarily answers, uh, but hopefully you're not going to find it too difficult to work through. Here's a great question that I think Christians need to know some sort of an idea on this. And so, again, my response is this. Um, why are there so many different churches and denominations? Fair question? Fair question? I, I actually feel when I read this, you know, often that question, I think it comes from, uh, from, from a perspective of this can't be right. You know, there's so many different churches, different denominations. They say they, they believe different things, they have different expressions of faith. And so how can that be right? Because, you know, Jesus said that we should be in unity. You know, I pray that you'd be one, even as, as I and the Father are one. We know Jesus' prayer. Um, and so here's the problem I've got. Here's, here's why I don't have a problem with denominations and different churches. Because I think often when we think unity, we think that means everyone's on the same page. I think that's what we're saying. Everyone gets lockstep, everyone believing practicing doing the same thing even when churches come together for unity missions this is just my honest perspective over the years I've been involved in a little bit of that haven't been for 20 something years for one very particular reason whenever I've seen Christians all get in a room and do the same thing the one thing that they can't do that doesn't happen ever is mission those those meetings are great for Christian sing-alongs not generally for anything else. And so to me, I actually think that what we see is in different denominations, different persuasions of Christianity. I actually think it's the hand of God, without a doubt. Um, But some Christians have been taught that getting everyone in the same room, doing the same thing, that's unity. Uh, Ephesians 3.10, I want to read you a verse. Ephesians 3.10. And the book of Ephesians really is Paul, the Apostle Paul, his theses on the church. This is what the church is. And this is what God is doing through the church. And key verses are Ephesians 3, 10 and 11. And where he actually describes God's intention and the purpose of the church. And it is, it is uh, to the intent that now the manifold, I want you to take notice of that word, The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That word manifold, another word for it, some other translations use the term variegated. Variegated. Basically, uh, variegated means many different colours, Manifold means many different sides, okay? And what the Apostle Paul is saying is what God's intending to do is, through the church, display a myriad of shapes and colours to the world that all reflect the wisdom and counsel of God. That's what Paul is saying the church actually is to do. And, um, and I think we do it brilliantly when we do it differently, i'm i'm glad there's a church of christ down the road i tell you why they'll reach people we never will and i reckon pastor steve christian i tell him i don't tell you a lie that is his name and he is a good christian man i rang him when we went to build a building here and he just built a brand new building at the end of the street and i said mate we've been looking at this block of land for a few years and we come back to it how would you feel about us plonking a church like Before you, you know, like we can snavel people before they get to your driveway. How do you feel about that? And he's like, you know what he said? He said, I think you'll reach a totally different group of people. So I think it's great. The more the merrier. And I'm like, now that is the manifold wisdom of God. And Pastor Stephen is indeed a Christian. (laughs) Because I've met some other people who wouldn't think that way. But I just think that God does display his many different flavors of wisdom through different people, different personalities, different expressions of faith, different churches. It's all just an expression. We're just seeing Ephesians 3.10 fulfilled. And then somehow, sometimes people get on track where they think that they've got to get it all happening in the same room or everyone thinking the same way for it to actually be unity. And I don't think that at all. I think we're all actually doing our best and most missional when we're doing the thing that God's put in our own hearts. And then we should speak really, really well of one another, cheer our brothers on. I regu- People say, you don't go to the unity meetings or whatever. I regularly take pastors of other churches out just to see how they're going. I rang one last week that I heard had a bad weekend, and that to me is great unity. We don't all have to be in a room singing the same song to have it. That's just one of my thoughts. I thought it was a great question, though. I'm glad it's, uh, it's been asked. Here's my understanding of how denominations... Do you want to know how denominations develop? Yeah. They develop around doctrine, okay? You know what doctrine is? Doctrine is not scripture. Doctrine is not the Bible. It's what we believe about the Bible. There's a big difference there. The problem is some people see their doctrine on the same level as scripture, and we can never do that. Uh, scripture is our best shot at interpreting the Bible. Oh, sorry, doctrine is our best shot at interpreting the Bible. And, uh, and the funny thing is, our National Bible College president said it so well a while ago. He said, doctrine is no more than shared experience. And I'm like, oh, wow, that just turned a light on. What, what does that mean? It means that certain people have a certain experience with God. And then we tend to solidify that and go, this is how God works our understanding of God and how he works. The problem is the Baptist down the road had a different experience of God. Does that mean he's wrong? No, God's pretty big. The fact is God probably couldn't give us every experience of himself on this earth. Our heads would explode. So all of us tend to have certain experiences that gel with us, that speak to us the way that we experience God and it's not necessarily wrong. It's many facets of the same diamond who believes God's actually big enough for that or does he have to fit think whenever I find someone who's dogmatic about their doctrine I I just find it amusing now because what you're actually saying is when you say my doctrine is the right one is you're saying God fits in your head and your human understanding and if that's ever the case we're all in trouble God is just way bigger than any one of us, or any 10,000 of us, or any 5 million of us. God is bigger. You get there, he's way beyond it, and you're only seeing a fraction of that much, I'm convinced. So why are there so many different churches and denominations? I think it's simply a reflection of the nature and character of God. And I do think that we should carry those identities denominational identities, with a lot of humility. As much as we love... I love the ACC. It has been so good to me, to us as a church. I love our movement, but we hardly ever talk about our movement. Some of you wouldn't even know what I mean when I say ACC, that we're an Australian Christian church's church. You probably... It might not make any sense. It really doesn't need to. So I really appreciate what we're a part of, but that's not the flag we fly. The flag we fly is Jesus, ultimately. The flag we fly is Jesus. And if the whole church worldwide, if that was their primary focus, I think it just gives more and more glory to God. Cool? Is that a reasonable response? Okay. If you've got sub-questions, you can always send them in. Okay. Second question is, why don't we talk more about... this is a good one. This is a really good one. You can see it. Why don't we talk more about the end times the second coming of Christ and biblical prophecy being fulfilled in our world and our response as a church? That is a great question. Who believes in, end times understanding is important? The end of the age? Come on, who wants to know a little bit about what's happening? And Right? and uh, And prophecy is certainly not to be despised. And there's a lot of Bible prophecy around what will happen in end times events. There's a lot of it, like literally, you know, books a book, at least, devoted to it. Um, So, this is definitely a good question. First thing I need to do, though, is clarify what end times means. This is where a lot of misunderstanding comes in. Um, Show me a New Testament... Here's the first thing I'd say. Show me a New Testament writer, someone who wrote the New Testament portion of Scripture, who did not consider themselves currently to be in end times... I'm I'm like, honestly, I'm happy to wait all day. I'm pretty confident there's going to be no names put forward. Everyone who wrote on end times gave clear inference that they considered they were in them 2,000 years ago. So often this question is raised because people are made to feel like, (gasps) the end times might be upon us. It's okay if you've survived this far, you're doing well because you were born into them. You've lived your whole life in them, so don't be looking for some radical shift. We're there, okay? Now, that's different to what I, I certainly was taught when I first became a Christian. Um, and yet, um, you know, and, and the fact is New Testament, sorry, even Jesus, when Jesus spoke about them, he spoke about them being eminently fulfilled. And a lot of them really were in 70 AD, if you know your history, When uh, the Roman general Titus, who would become the new Caesar, came to put down a revolt and tore Jerusalem apart. And Jesus' prophecy of the temple and the stones being torn down and people running and crying out for mountains to fall on them. All of that was fulfilled in a three-year siege where Jewish history says a million people died. Most people think, no, cities just weren't that big, and Jerusalem certainly wasn't that big, even though a lot of people had fled to the city for refuge. But the one thing that all historians agree on is that it was a mass genocide. And uh, and so even stuff that Jesus was talking about that you've probably heard written into Christian songs of the 70s and 80s, some of us, um, is pretty clearly to see fulfilled already, 70 AD. Um, so you know, at the end of the day, I think what we've got to understand is the inauguration of the New Testament. Jesus coming, laying down his life, saying the door is open to all humanity to be connected to God. There is nothing in the way. God has not got the issue. Now you have. So God's proven, how much do you love me? He spread his arms and said this much. So there's nothing from God's side, the angst and the anger, the wrath Is from our side and you can see that any time a Christian sticks their head up in society and gets it knocked off the wrath is in man it's not in God Um, so the inauguration of the New Covenant was the beginning of the last days and all the writers saw that we're in a new covenant a New Testament it is it's not gonna be another one there's not gonna be another Messiah that's why this is the last days this is the final act of history, and we get to play it out. So what's our response as a church? Well, I think our response as a church is whenever we talk about Jesus, whenever we talk about mission, whenever we talk about discipleship, we are talking about end times. Whenever The cross was the cataclysmic event that split history, and there is no denying that in either secular history or sacred history. That the cross was a cat, the the life of Christ and his death was a cataclysmic event that changed the world forever. And so I I guess that's what I, that's sort of, that's half my response. Do you want to hear the other half? Okay. Which might just be rehashing, but I want to give you some scripture. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says very clearly God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Does that sound current? This is the writer of Hebrews. He's talking after the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the writer of Hebrews saying, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Um, I could go on and read, but I don't need to. So the problem has been some really poor teaching over the years where Scripture has been cherry-picked generally to scare the hell out of people, literally, <laughs> and build a, a, a narrative that might work to get people, to coerce people in a sense. And I've got no doubt some of us might be sitting here and that was part of our salvation journey. It was mine. It was my. I remember I could not read enough Barry Smith. First warning, second warning, third warning, final warning, all the books, I read them all. And they all built this narrative. The only problem was it wasn't necessarily a biblical narrative. But somehow that can be ingrained in the road base of our Christian journey. And uh, we've just got to understand that the scriptural, the Bible narrative is a little bit different to some of that stuff. That stuff makes fantastic movies. Come on, has anyone here seen the Left Behind series? Admit it. Admit it. Anyway, uh, it makes great movies. We've just got to be careful when we try and put words and we build a narrative that God might not necessarily be trying to build. You know, the book of Revelation is a great, you know, thought about that. You just need to read the history of first century Rome and the persecution of the early Christians, and you see a lot of what John was talking about. Uh, Interestingly enough, the Eastern Orthodox Church has always maintained that revelation should only ever be used for worship, never for teaching or instruction on world events, okay? And because we're all Catholic, probably, is anyone here Greek or Eastern Orthodox background? Maybe one or two. The rest of us are all Catholic, even though we wouldn't admit it, but Martin Luther was only one step away in the Reformation. So every Protestant is actually a Catholic. In ground theology, like. And there's some things that the Eastern Orthodox at the great Great Schism of 1050, there's some stuff Eastern Orthodox never, never they, that's why they split because they weren't going to go down that path. And we quite arrogantly say, well, we've moved away from those Catholic roots because we're part of the Reformation, we're Protestant, blah, blah, blah. Um, No, you're not, really. You're just a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit less Catholic. And so um, I I think it's just interesting to look at, because we're talking now people, Eastern Orthodox have the the best coffee copies of original scripture on the planet. Sorry, best coffees. (laughs) That struck a chord with Belinda Job. Um, actually, I think Jason and you have the best coffees, but uh, they have some of the best coffees, copies, earliest copies of original manuscript of the scripture and have been the custodians of them, and of course, they were the people that ISIS persecuted. They're our brothers and sisters, and we can learn probably quite a lot from them, but we don't even know about them, really. They're just on the other side of the world, but the oldest expressions of Christianity in the world. And it would be a shame not to learn a little bit from them. And interestingly, they've just sort of gone, this stuff is, uh, is for worship. So we have those amazing passages, holy, holy, holy. We've been singing some of it today. Um, and here's to the last thing I'll say about it before I move on, and then I'll just read a scripture. But, you know, although the prophetic nature of scripture has a re-fulfillment, it doesn't just happen once. So, there's this prophetic echo that happens when something is spoken prophetically. It might be fulfilled in the moment, it might be fulfilled 50 years later, it might be fulfilled a thousand years later on a different level. Um, Even though it's got that, um, it's still too vague to go naming the Antichrist or what the mark of the beast is. And I've been around long enough to know this. Many have tried, all have failed. And I haven't seen many repent. I'm going to name stuff that's above my pay grade. I'm going to write a book and sell it. But I'm not necessarily going to repent when I'm proven wrong. And we should take notice of that. So when you're on the internet and getting freaked out by stuff you're reading, settle down. Jesus is still Lord. His mission is... Our our focus is the mission. It's not other stuff. It's not overly entangling, entangling ourselves in the government. Our mission is Christ. That's the mission of the church, to show the manifold wisdom of God to the whole world. And, uh, and there you go. Here's Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You guys doing okay? I'm going to be happy to get back to preaching next week. But, but I, I think these are worth... I've got one more question I'm going to answer and then we'll finish. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Again, listen to Paul's language Now, all these things happened to them. He's talking about Israel. All these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. That's exactly how we see the Hebrew Scriptures, isn't it? We learn from Moses and the Red Sea, and we we learn from all of that. Um, But then he finishes with, upon whom, talking about us, the ends of the ages have come. Again, written just a shade under 2,000 years ago, Paul was saying very clearly that he considered he was in the last phase of history. And that last phase is actually a dispensation of grace through the cross, although grace was always, just took different forms. But Jesus inaugurated a new, not just a new covenant, a new reality by which sinful men can approach God and be transformed into his likeness. Cool. Question three. You good? You doing okay? Okay, question three. Here we go. Do we need to make church relevant or do we need to go against the flow? That's a great question. They're all great questions. Um, Can I have a sip of water? Just talk amongst yourselves. I'll try not to slurp. Do we need to make church relevant or do we need to go against the flow? Well, I think we need to be authentic. There's my short answer. (laughs) Whatever that looks like. I think we need to be authentic I, in some ways it's almost the wrong question there's or not the wrong question it's, it leads to a better question might be a good way of putting it um, I think we need to be authentic because authentic is not a turn-off you know I think when people are authentic about their relationship with Jesus there's a ring of truth about it now some people will never accept anything it wouldn't matter You know, if you were a gold-plated Christian, it wouldn't matter. Like, some people are never going to accept that. But, you know, most people are pretty reasonable. And if they see authenticity, they might say, it's not me, but they're happy for you. Have you noticed that? You ever had a friend say, I'm happy for you? What they're saying is, I don't particularly want it right now, but I don't see it as a bad thing for your life. Authentic Christianity, it's when we get weird that the trouble comes. Um, but the question seems to be, like, do we keep up with the times or do we hold some old ground? That's kind of what the question is. Um, I think the problem with th- with that thinking, in a sense, is that it comes from the assumption that at some point we were getting it right. Can I play devil's advocate for a bit? <laughs> but we do. We have this... We have this machination generally, it's generally a mashup of our earliest spiritual experiences which are often highly emotive. I was talking to a a clinical psychologist yesterday who said this, that when you learn something through in an emotional crucible, it's very hard to unlearn it with your intelligence alone. It's very hard to be educated out of an emotional experience. If you had an emotional experience that seemed real, it's very hard to change your mind or your perception just because someone tells you there's something better. And therefore we have so often in the church, and and the old statement is, that people who resist the new thing God's doing the most are the people who are on the forefront of the last thing God was doing. Why? Because they had an incredible experience and they want to return to that rather than move to the new thing. And yet I do think, you know, Scripture's pretty clear. Isaiah 42, verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And this is Isaiah 43. But far from being a proof text, like cherry-picking, to say, I make my point, I just use that Scripture in the sense of the Bible is full of examples Actually, really what the Bible is, is a book of people predominantly missing God. Not getting him right, but missing him initially and then having an aha moment. You know what I mean? You want me to sacrifice my kid? Well, yeah, well, that's what all the gods want. But Abraham comes down the mountain, mountain with Isaac intact, going, you are so much better than I thought you were. And the whole Bible is just full of stories. I thought God was here. He met me there. But then he didn't leave me there. He took me somewhere else. And, uh, and, and for that reason, I think we've got to hold our, even our own experiences that are very authentic. We've got to be a bit, hold them with a bit of humility. That even though this is how I experience God, I, I acknowledge someone else might have a very different viewpoint and still be just as legitimate as what I've experienced. So I think the the issue is not so much do we become more relevant and strive for relevance or do we hang on to, I think we just be authentic and hold everything we hold with a certain element of humility. Um, Far, uh, sorry, uh, ultimately we've got to balance both those thoughts. If we lose Jesus in the attempt to be relevant, we've become the world. If we lose Jesus trying to be relevant... We are no different to the world. That's it. Um, if we are not relevant, we are mission ineffective. So if we, we can't stay relevant, we become mission ineffective. And, we lose, and if we lose mission, we are salt without flavour, good for nothing. But the dung heap is how Jesus actually put it. So there's this balance. If we just go all relevance and just become like the world well we've just we've lost we've just the world if we if we decide to stand on our dig and not morph and not transform not embrace new things not embrace new language not engage a whole different society we become mission ineffective and either way is a is a is a loss so what we have to do is balance holding eternal truth but being very very happy to represent it in different ways for a new generation so it's sort of not either or in that sense the more profound question it leads us to really I think is our lives being changed it's not a relevance question or a or a, a correct doctrine question or a it's really not that it's as the church are people's lives being transformed with by Jesus among us Because if that's not happening, it doesn't really matter what any other question is. (laughs) We've lost. We've lost the plot. We're no longer what God wanted us to be. And so the, the real relevant question and maybe the litmus test is, are people's lives encountering Jesus Christ? Are people really being changed, being transformed, finding hope? finding life, finding forgiveness, finding acceptance, finding peace, finding a sense of future where they lift their head and want to give glory to God with the rest of their life. If that's happening, I'm not sure God's too worried how we got there. Because God doesn't show up unless He's happy with what you're doing. And if God's showing up, does that make sense? That's just one way that I've looked at it because, you know, the reason I picked these last questions and couldn't let them go, there's just so many voices out there for the church. Any of you who are on social media, you are being bombarded with other people's concepts, ideas, perceptions. And it's so easy what you find when you read something. If there's even just a hint of truth in it, well, the church is just this. When you come along to church, you will see exactly the problem. It's already been pre-pointed out to you. You now have a frame which you come to your church and you can judge and criticise it like it can be from outside. And I, I, I think none of us like that happening to us when it happens personally. I don't think God likes it happening to his bride either, which is the church. So I, I honestly think that answering these questions, hopefully, has just been helpful. So maybe you were thinking, you know, why aren't we more involved with other church stuff and whatnot? More than happy to be. As a matter of fact, in our recent uh, recent board meeting, we're looking at getting a guest speaker coming in and actually opening the auditorium up to anyone who wants to be here. Invite the other churches in the town for someone to speak to really pertinent issues in our society right now won't be the first time we've done it. It probably won't be the last time we've done it. But I don't feel like we have to continuously have sing-alongs together to love my brother. I don't feel I need to do that. I think I love my brother by not talking behind his back. (laughs) Um, You know, maybe for you, uh, and I'm just trying to wrap this up, but maybe uh, you have been really, really troubled by the end times thing and I'm not trying to belittle it or minimise it. I'm just trying to bring a biblical perspective to it. You're living it. So however the Bible tells you to live in end times, well, hopefully you've been doing it as long as you've been a Christian. Living like you could come back at midnight. Yep, that's a good way to live the Christian life. Um, and then ultimately, I think, I hope you see the heart for mission in our church, that uh, that the bottom line is our lives being changed. And if it, if that's happening... I'm pretty sure God's happy. That's a good day for God when He sees a life changed. And I, and I hope that we facilitate that. So I'm just going to ask us a couple of questions, maybe help you apply it a little bit. Um, you know, we've talked about accepting church differences. I think the personal challenge is, how are you at accepting personal differences? People who just see the world different to you. How are you at that? Because God's pretty good at it. Who thinks God probably sees the world pretty different from us? Yet he still accepts us. You know, Even those of us who are really desperately trying to follow him, we probably see it very differently to him. And, uh, and yet he's still quite happy to go on the journey with us. Wow, that's grace. So the question is, how are we, how are we with people in our world at doing that? Going on the journey. I accept you where you're at. I might not agree with you. I might not believe what you believe. But I accept you where you're at and we're all on a journey. Second question is, realising it's the last days, realising it's begun, it's here, it's now. Are you on mission? You know, when we step into the marketplace whether that's a, a school classroom, whether that is a workshop floor, whether that is a mum's playgroup, whether when we step into the marketplace, are we actually thinking about how we can reflect Jesus? How we can maybe, you know, build relationships, go on journeys with people where we can share our story. Because that is our, pla- you know, your platform's not doctrine. It's not doctrine. Your platform's, for most of you, it's not preaching. You know, they're fairly, you know, unusual gifts, generally held by unusual people. Um, But what your platform is, is your story. What's your transformation experience? That's it. We're gonna hear a great one next week, as a matter of fact. I am conducting an interview with someone who's got a really, really dynamic Jesus encounter experience, and we're gonna just have an interview and talk about that. But how about yours now? That's, That's your story. How are you going at being on mission? Last question. Staying true to Jesus. how How are you staying true to Jesus, but relevant to those around you? True to Jesus, but still reaching into people's worlds, even though they can be incredibly different to the average believer's world. Who's worked that out? If you've got unchurched friends, have you ever just sat back going, oh my goodness, I don't know how you can survive in life like this. Sometimes. Sometimes it's like, gee, they're doing really well without faith. But how are we engaging that? I think they're all good questions for us to ask.